first of all, uh, I think crucial is before you start at all, you know, thinking about investors and investments, etc. What you need to have from the beginning is a great margin situation, let's say. Great margins are key. Your P&L needs to be stellar so that if you go fundraising, that your investor will look at your product and your P&L and say, okay, this is a company that is worth, uh, worth investing in. So in, especially in retail, where it's all about the volume, um, every cent that you, how you can optimize your margin structure is just super crucial. So that's, it's something that we, in beginning, underestimated a bit as well. We, and you will hear that a lot from, from uh, retail startups that we say, yeah, over time, you know, with, uh, mm-hmm. with, with growing volume, we will be able to um, do decrease, I don't know, um, cox, et cetera. Mm-hmm. While this is true, it is never true to the degree that the, the, the founder hopes in the beginning. Mm. So that's why in the beginning, already margins are key. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. <music> My guest today is a successful entrepreneur and the CMO of a business relevant for our time. This is the continuation of the new series on Headstore, the retail series, where we talk to executive leaders in this space about, among other things, how this sector is morphing with the drive to develop and implement a circular economy. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. My name's Chrissy. I'm co-founder and chief mixologist at Bird and Blend Tico. I know Elaine loves our tea and makes weekly recommendations to you so you can enjoy whilst listening to this fabulous podcast. We're an eco-conscious, independent, people-focused and award-winning tea mixology company on a mission to spread happiness and reimagine tea. We now have 14 stores across the UK and over 100 blends to choose from. So there's something for everyone. From our traditional Great British Cuppa and Builder's Breakfast Brew to fun flavours like chocolate digestives, rhubarb and custard and strawberry lemonade, you'll be sure to discover the perfect cuppa for you. Check us out online. You can take our tea matching quiz. It's www.birdandblendtea.com and it'll find the right tea for you. Or please do pop into one of our stores and meet some of the team and they will help you out. Thanks for your time and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Luca Mikas is the co-founder and CMO of the award-winning Swiss food tech startup Yamo, which produces fresh, organic and sustainable food for babies and toddlers. His passion for fast-moving consumer goods, branding and e-commerce led him from SodaStream to the spirits company Campari, until he finally decided to start his own business. With Yamo, he and his team wants to help parents across Europe raise their children in a healthy way and help future generations develop an awareness of balance and sustainable nutrients from an early age. Yama is a winner of the Swiss Economic Forum Award and one of the top five food delivery startups worldwide selected by the Foodtech 500. Let's have a conversation now. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Luca to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Hi, Lane. Thanks for having me. Very, very delighted to be here. 
Thanks for joining me today. Um, okay, I'd like to get right into this conversation today with uh, the introductory and what I often call a sort of a warm up question. So, how did it all start and where is it today? We're talking about Yammer. Um, so, it all started in the end of 2015. Um, I was back then living together with a roommate, and we were watching, I remember, a documentary about. Uh, veganism in Switzerland and uh, being vegan back then was still super niche it's not at all what um, as, 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 as trendy and in as it is today so um, in this documentary they were telling how a vegan diet helps you in lots of different aspects in your life like in, in sleep and skin and uh, focus in daily life etc etc so um, with my roommate back then, we, we said, okay, why, why should we not just test it? Let's go vegan for a month and we do a, a, a vegan food challenge, let's see. And then I went back to the office the other morning uh, where I was uh, working together with Toby, who is now my co-founder. Back then we were still working at, at Campari, the spirits company mm -hmm. in, in brand marketing. And I told him about my, my vegan month challenge and he, he right away said, okay, I'm going to participate. That sounds very interesting. Mm -hmm. And when you just out of a sudden um, start a, nutri a vegan nutrition, you need to look at all the ingredient lists of the, mm. of, the of the foods that you that you eat on a daily basis very carefully because um, in there can be hidden I don't know uh, fish oil and things like that. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you look very detailed an ingredient list is you realize how many unnecessary uh, and unhealthy ingredients are even in completely natural food, like in a, in a ready-made salad, there's suddenly 20 grams of sugar and uh, lots of, of, of chemical ingredients. And that was really just astonishing for us how, how, how we were eating without knowing it, mm. uh, lots of things that we, we, we would not want to eat if we were look, giving a bit more, more uh, care to the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And then we said as a joke, hey, let's go to the baby food eye because this needs to be the healthiest and uh, most sustainable nutrition on the mm -hmm. planet, right? So let's check those products then. And we went there and uh, to our shock, uh, it was more or less the same as any other products that were uh, shelf stable for five years. Um, mm -hmm. They had contained lots of sugars and chemical ingredients. And for us, it was just not normal that a product that is being eaten by kids that are merely like five, six, seven months old Mm -hmm. was shelf stable for five six years so the kids that are eating the products are younger than the product itself that does not make any sense and that was how it all started that we decided we asked basically our friend jose who is our third co-founder today a food scientist how is that possible and is there not any better way to create healthier more sustainable baby food and so, 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 that right. was how it started so are you a are you a vegetarian vegan no, I'm not. I after this month, I went back to being a, a om omnivore. Uh, yes. So I really enjoy eating all different kinds of food. Um, but it was really what what triggered the whole. Yes, the whole but thing. but for the business itself, the foods that you provide, um, would you say it's purely vegan or vegetarian dishes that you provide? Uh, we didn't start vegan. We started with um, vegetarian. Uh, mm -hmm. So all of our products were vegetarian. Today they are really all plant based. Um, mm -hmm. So we had still. Uh, cow milk and cow yogurt in the products right. and over the years we decided that um, also because of sustainability reasons we uh, see the future of the company as being a plant-based uh, kids uh, food company and that's why we've just recently changed all of our recipes 
from, um, for example, cow milk to uh, um, plant-based milks and yogurts. All right. So you're moving from vegetarian to vegan for your exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, presumably there are other um, children food suppliers that are vegan. So what is your USP? Um, yeah, it's you need to look at the different um, target customers that we have. So we provide uh, not just baby food. We also have um, um, healthy snacks for older kids. So mm -hmm. we differentiate in, in two categories. One is really the, the baby food category where parents of babies are, of course, uh, relevant for us. And then we have the healthy snacking moments for parents of older kids. Mm -hmm. And the USPs uh, and the basically our positioning is rather different in both those target groups because for a baby or for the parents of the baby, it's super, super important, important that um, the baby grows up or learns from the beginning what real taste experience means. So not heat sterilized, uh, cooked to death um, uh, veggies that don't taste anymore like veggies, so, but rather the, the real fresh experience of it. So that's why our, our USP in the baby category is really freshness. We were the first company in Europe to create um, um, a high pressurized um, um, baby food. This means basically that you instead of heat sterilizing the products and making it shelf stable through heat mm -hmm. we use pressure and the good thing about pressure is it um it kills the bacteria and the other harmful elements that are in 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 every food mm -hmm. as well like the same way like like heat but the good thing is it does not harm the things that you want to keep inside like vitamins taste Mm -hmm. um the the colors etc that are being harmed by heat mm. so we were the first ones to apply this technology on on, on baby food in europe and the uh, we were super successful with it and that was how we how we really began over time by time then we realized how important it is to be present in the parents lives even after the baby phase because the baby is a baby for maybe five six seven months they mm -hmm. start eating at around five to six months Mm -hmm. And then when they are 12 months, they started eating from the table. And lots of parents came to us and said, hey, guys, um, we really, really liked uh, your food. And my kid only eats Yamo, but now uh, he or she starts eating from the table. Do you have any, any mm -hmm. you know, um, following follow up product, let's say, because uh, now it's all about snacking and etc. And then we started to think about how the company could evolve from being this um, fresh baby food company into a. Uh, the world of healthy kids foods um, brands. Mm -hmm. And that is a process that started last year. We uh, added then um, healthy snacks for, for older kids like oat, oat milk um, um, drinks or uh, the first Nutri-Score A um, mm -hmm. bars for kids and things like that. So we really offer now everything from baby food to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to older kids all right um, thanks for sort of introducing some of the, the, the innovations you've come up i think mm -hmm. when i did my research and i looked at some of the stuff you're doing i remember reading about this um was it air pressing or compression yeah yeah it mentioned that you, you um, yammer come up with and now others are following and also um you sort of introduced talking about um some of the, the new products that you have and i want to 
further talk about that just a little bit later on in the the episode mm -hmm. it talks about um, this is the bit about you know the future and the expansion of Yammer but just just quickly briefly to, to tell us about the management team and your particular role exactly so we are three founders and then uh, with us in the management team we have uh, another eight uh, wonderful people um, we are more women than men which is very very nice um, mm -hmm. Super diverse from different countries, uh, lots of different skill sets. Uh, rather young, very skilled, and super passionate about building the yeah mm -hmm. the next generation food food brand. Basically, uh, we are situated in in uh, located in in Zug in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, in the management team, we really combine all the the relevant departments. Let's say from the company, so from marketing to d2c responsibility so everything that we sell over our web shop but then of course also the the sales part so the key account part with retailers in in europe we have supply chain which is super important and lots of other different departments mm -hmm. my role is um i'm head of uh various part um uh departments I'm, I'm the cmo but it's not just limited to to, to marketing mm -hmm. i'm responsible for brand the whole D2C uh, part of our business, the digital product and technology behind the, the, the web, web shop, and also the portfolio and uh, physical product uh, strategy, mm -hmm. so to speak. So, you know, briefly and, and interesting, because you, you talked about, you know, digital marketing. How has the pandemic impacted your business? Did it enhance the, the online presence in any way? <laughs> yeah. It, it's super interesting what you ask because every investor literally asks this or asks us in the beginning. Um, and I think while other e-commerce food businesses benefited very well from it, I think in our case, we did not really feel a, a, a tremendous uplift. We just continued growing mm -hmm. nicely. And the reason for it is that uh, during the pandemic, especially in the beginning, e-commerce food businesses that focused on um, on on shelf stable products benefited mm -hmm. the most because people also that bought in the supermarkets what was bought most it was rice pasta mm -hmm. and all the on the shelf stable products because people were afraid that um, they could maybe not go for weeks anymore in the supermarket so they were stocking up and stashing up in in, in, in their kitchen Mm -hmm. shelf-stable products. Now, with our positioning of being a fresh product that has a shelf life of, of several weeks, um, this goes a bit against this, uh, this mm -hmm. trend, of course. So I don't think that for us, uh, COVID was a, a, an amplifier. Mm -hmm. On contrary, even in retail, it was kind of a, a deal breaker for some retailers because they told us, listen, uh, yes, we planned to roll you out. So we had already agreed with different retailers in Europe to have uh, huge re retail listings and rollouts. But then uh, COVID hit and suddenly all experiments, let's say, yeah. were cut. So for us in the end, it was was not a good time either. Um, but the good thing is now after COVID, the, the retailers come back and they are hungry for, mm -hmm. for innovation. So um, it, was a, it was a healthy growth, let's say, and not a not a uh, an unusual just a, a peak so that, you've, that's you've now kind of 
you've kind of had a continuous steady exactly. growth exactly. than you know an exponential growth as a result of pandemic so okay. yes exactly because you see now in other in other uh, e-commerce businesses after the last year's crazy growth and yeah. now they are they are yes. they're the collapsing right so yes. Yes. And, and we are happy that it just continued yes because yes that's kind of um trusting okay exactly. you know you are a um, a sustainable brand you pride yourself on this um so i'd like to know because you've talked about the supply chain you've talked about ethics and partnerships how sustainable is the end-to-end development and delivery of your baby food products you know we're talking about the packaging the delivery of vehicles etc you know what solutions have been developed and are currently used that you could say meets these um passions and goals of sustainable branding a great question uh maybe Important is to say that we look at sustainability with a 360 degrees eye, let's say. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's really not just about climate and the impact on the environment, but also mm-hmm. how we behave as people to leave a better, more social and more friendly world, uh, so mm-hmm. to say, once we're mm-hmm. gone. Uh, which is why we look at really two different uh, pillars. We look at the planet and people in our sustainability, mm-hmm. sustainable, sustainability strategy. Mm-hmm. So planet for us means... Uh, two different things it's the climate action so we for example we said we will be um, climate neutral by 2023 which is next year and i will tell you later what what that implies for us and we have a second part of planet which is sustainable packaging Mm -hmm. we are still today uh, limited in the um, especially the baby food products that are um, um that we where we need to apply pressure on those we are dependent from plastic so we need to create uh, a plastic um, mm-hmm. packaging but we aim to be plastic free by 2025 so we actually started uh, projects now to replace the plastics in our in our packaging mm-hmm. although this does not exist yet today anywhere on the world with our production technology so we will be the first ones that uh, will make this work and now we have the second big pillar uh, which is people so um, we have there we call it a company culture so we want to be b corp certified by next year 2023 mm-hmm. and then we have a second one for planet uh, for people that is we call it healthy upbringing so we want we are we never use uh, added sugar in any of our products but of course since we use fruits and uh, oat milk there is natural occurring sugars in, yeah. in the ingredients but our plan is to reduce those natural occurring sugars by 20 percent in the next two to three years as well and as well there we kicked off some amazing projects together with uh, different uh, universities and, mm. and our amazing um, uh, food scientists uh, that mm. we have mm. in house now a bit looking a bit more into detail what does that mean is uh, first of all if we look at planet and and the the packaging part of things um with the switch that we did from from cow milk and cow yogurt to um, plant-based raw materials it was a huge huge um uh, mover basically for um a reduction of our co2 emissions mm-hmm. and the same applies to our production technology so we use i i don't recall exactly the number but i think it's up to 60 percent less co2 um with our production technology of applying pressure instead of heat to mm-hmm. kill the bacteria and there's lots of other different uh, aspects in our business that um that go in the same direction so uh, we do a lot of, of different things across the whole um, 
chain uh, or value chain of, of our production. And in the end, what we do then as well is we want to offset uh, by next year all of the remaining CO2 emissions to mm. really become climate neutral. As well, something that we are super proud of, we started uh, that last year in 2021, is a collaboration with CleanHub. And uh, we can now proudly say that for every Yama product that we sell, be it online or in retail, we remove one plastic bottle uh, from the environment that is usually close to the, to the ocean. So that is something that is super nice. We have already now today, I think I would need to, to look at the counter, but I think it's uh, 45 tons of plastic that mm -hmm. we took out of the ocean mm -hmm. with this collaboration with CleanUp, which is something we're super proud of. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that because that, that was sort of the, the following question is sort of what other ethical stuff you're doing and mm -hmm. I'm quite happy that you've mentioned that but still with the theme of supply chain ethics and, and partnerships um, you've mentioned a couple um, you, you, you just talked about the clean hub collaboration that you've done and you've also mentioned working with the university so, so what other relationships have you formed since the beginning of the organization what partnerships will you have going forward and to what end? Oh, wow, that uh, I would need to recall now because there's, you can imagine there's so many. <laughs> um, but one thing that- Key ones, um, perhaps. <laughs> something that is still very, um, I, I still think about that is, was very nice, was a collaboration we did with the Welthungerhilfe in Germany. So it's the World Hunger Help. I don't know if you- that's correct translation yeah. uh, is it's an institution that um, um, a charity institution that supports children around the globe uh, that are that grow up in poverty uh, they support them with food with education with uh, health uh, health measures with clean water etc mm -hmm. and so uh, we teamed up in the beginning of Yama we teamed up with with the health Welthungerhilfe and we had a deal that for every um, product that we would sell we would um, together with the Welthungerhilfe donate um, a, a baby food actually to rural um, kids in India that grow up in poverty mm -hmm. unluckily we needed to uh, or this project was uh, then due to COVID uh, in India, they, they cut it down because they could not go to those villages anymore mm -hmm. um, due to COVID because uh, you remember COVID in India was, was a tragedy or is still. And uh, yeah, then we, we had to, to stop this collaboration back then, but I really hope that we can at some point, mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. again. Okay, so you know, that, that, that's interesting and you know, let us know if you continue with that and if there's a, a link you'd like to put in the episode description um, going forward, that'd be great. Um, let's talk about your, your customers, but you know, better still the parents. Have they, you know, your consumers, their views and feedback changed um, or modify your business model? And if so, how? That is a good question. I mean, if you if you start up uh, doing something new that has not been done before, of course you want to listen to the customers and what they say and, and think and feel mm -hmm. and 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 of course they will influence what you do. Mm -hmm. but there's a very fine line between you need to listen to everyone and every idea basically out there and then sticking a bit to your guts as well with what you start in the first place because it's dangerous to 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 lose track a bit mm. of. Uh, and you know deviate from your 
from your root just by listening to everyone. Everyone will say, if you do that, I will buy it. But then if you do it, that doesn't mean that they will end up, end up buying it. Yeah. I, I once read this very nice uh, statement that was what people say and what they do and what they say they do are through three completely different things, mm-hmm. which is why we tend to look at the data and then define our actions based on what we really see, what people do. Yeah. And one good example is um, we started the, our D2C models, our, our, our online shop in the end, we started with really it being a, a, a normal shop. So a place where you check all products, you scroll down a product list, and then you add to your basket, whatever you want to have in your, in your box. And then you can choose between a, a single box, so you, you get this order once, or you get it recurrently as a subscription. And what many, many parents sent us as a feedback was, I would love to have the subscription, but I need to test first. Mm-hmm. So can you not offer a, I don't know, five to 10 product box mm-hmm. um, that I can try before committing to a subscription, which is what we did. So we did last year a test and we created a a test box Mm -hmm. um, with 10 products inside. It was cheaper. Exactly as everyone said, that would be really the key why they would then end up buying the subscription. Now, the results were many, many parents bought Mm. this test box, but almost no one ended up buying the subscription, even though they gave us the best ever ratings we received, like the best NPS scores, no bad reviews, nothing. So we started asking them, so why kept you from after receiving this trial box entering the subscription? And then they said things like, yeah, real life happened. So I got distracted. My kids uh, wanted to have something else in the supermarket. I forgot about it. I did not open the website again and this and that. And this was one of the, the <laughs> it's a good example how, how you need to look at the data to see what, what really how you really benefit from from an idea and in that case it was for us not a good outcome because in the end we we all the customers were buying the subscription the, the, mm. the trial box but no one all almost would end up uh, end up in a, in a in a subscription so that's why we um we stopped this again after a few months and went back to what we have now which we will develop over time even even more in, in summer we will go a different or a, a better route but I think that is a good example how, how yes, listening yeah. to customers yeah. is important, but you also need to, to stay true to your, to your mission and, 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 uh, and your guts. Again. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's an interesting example. Thanks for that one. Um, you know, many of my listeners are entrepreneurs um, wanting to take this very journey you are on uh, to be as successful as you are so, so it'd be great if you could just provide them with some feedback here um so w- what are your thoughts and tips for, for startups and entrepreneurs in particular in the retail sector mm-hmm. because that's the current series i'm working in in obtaining yeah. the right kind of investor and investment and and how do they prepare themselves yes i think first of all uh, i think crucial is before you start at all you know thinking about investors and investments etc make sure your product doesn't product market fit you don't need that from the beginning of course because Mm -hmm. you you, i mean you you end up uh, hopefully you end up in product market fit with trial and error in the beginning but what you need to have from the beginning is a great uh, good margin situation let's say great margins are key 
your P&L needs to be stellar so that if you go fundraising, that your investor will look at your product and your P&L and say, okay, this is a company that is worth, uh, worth investing in. Mm-hmm. So in, especially in retail, where it's all about the volume, um, every cent that you, how you can optimize your margin structure is just super crucial. So that's, it's something that we in beginning underestimated a bit as well. We, and you will hear that a lot from, from uh, retail startups that will say, yeah, over time, you know, with, uh, mm-hmm. with, with growing volume, we will be able to, um, to decrease, I don't know, um, cocks, et cetera. Mm-hmm. While this is true, it is never true to the degree that the, the, the founder hopes in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's why in the beginning already margins are key. Once you figure that out and once you nail this, let's, let's say, then yes, think about investors if you, if you need them. Mm-hmm. If you manage to live without investors, I would still say um, try to, to bootstrap. If you don't need to be within, you know, two, three years, the number one player in all of Europe and you need to money to scale quickly, mm-hmm. uh, then of course you need investors. But if not, then I would advise to bootstrap as long as possible to stay, to stay independent and uh, not, you know, not mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. scale too quickly because if you're given a lot of money, you tend to spend a lot of money. It's just mm-hmm. the honest, the honest mm-hmm. rule. And, you, crash and you, you, you tend to also spend it in some times a bit, uh, a bit silly, let's say, or lots of companies I've seen, I've seen in the past, mm-hmm. they, they then don't think about it so carefully anymore. But of course, investors are super, super helpful. It's not just about the money. It's also mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, they open doors. They have huge networks. They can call maybe retailers, buyers, uh, C-level executives of the retailers and with one sentence, you suddenly receive a call from those uh, mm. being interested in your product. So we experienced this as well. While we were uh, knocking on the doors for months of a specific retailer, then one call of one of the investors suddenly opened it. So yes, this is, is um, I think it's all about the network connections yeah. that, that investors have. Yeah. And of course they can, in many cases, especially if they were founders in the past, they can also help you uh, scale your business when it comes to the more structural topics like how do you build a company in the first place how do you need to set up uh, a board mm-hmm. or the management team uh, mm-hmm. etc so those are those aspects especially in the beginning were for us very very important and we benefited a lot from our uh, initial uh, seed uh, a business angels and uh, series a uh, vc investors Just and then in oh sorry yeah, no, just the investment. Um, yeah, I would, as I said, I think uh, I would try to create a business case where you don't need investment. Mm-hmm. But still, um, if, if you need to speed up scaling, then of course, um, go and talk to investors. Um, I, I, we did in the beginning with, uh, we were at different startup competitions in Switzerland and Germany, where you then also position yourself in some way and suddenly people start talking about you, um, you get, you know, uh, interest, mm-hmm. uh, interest from different, from different investors, then one calls the other and suddenly you are on the list of, of, of different investors. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a bit harder if you reach out to all of them, you know, with cold yeah. emails yeah. that usually does not, is not successful. Um, how much of the investors showing interest in actually putting their money as well as their advice 
um, where you need it was uh, what percentage was it your you and your team and what percentage was it your product you mean why did they, why do you think they did that you know yeah I think it's so you need to differentiate between early stage and later stage in we are still quite early stage so I would say from seed round even up to a so the, the series a maybe even a bit series b but especially series a and then seed round it's all about the founders mm. of course you need to provide a product and some data that would tell them that this has a really big potential and there is a big market and you have already traction but then it's really all about the founders their vision and their their perceived skills so that was for in and we were told so often by by investors mm. that the reason why we invested you is you have of course a great idea and a great product but i great ideas and great products are endless in the world but mm -hmm. what you don't find that often is a, a founder's team that is, you know, so passionate about what yeah. they want to achieve. And we saw that in you. And I think what, the, what was in our case especially important was that we were three completely different founders. So not just from a personal point of view, but also when it comes to our skills. So we have Jose, who is the food scientist. We have me, who is the, the marketing guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and the brand guy and then we have toby who is all about uh the building up the company from a financial point of view the legal points the the admin parts the uh the investor relations etc mm -hmm. so we have all different all important parts of building a business in the beginning we had covered mm -hmm. and i think this is one big mistake that founders do when they team up they always team up in groups that are very similar mm -hmm. to each other so two people from sales or two people from product and like that <laughs> investors tend to um, to turn down um then then uh, investment because they just need to see a diverse uh, skill set a balanced team okay yeah. so thank, thanks for that so, so, so knowing what you you know you know now what would you have changed or done differently to get to the position yamo is in today that is a very, very complex question. Um, <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, one thing then many, many things, of course. Uh. Um, but I, I, I just talked yesterday about it with a friend. I think you can almost not hit the right moment when you start hiring the key people. So you're either too late or too early. There is mm -hmm. almost no this was the right moment to hire RC, whatever. Oh. So in our case, I think we waited too long with certain key positions in the company mm. that uh, helped us uh, and put took weights off our shoulders. In my case, um, it was as well in marketing. I had I, I waited too long uh, doing everything myself and ended up almost in burned out. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was definitely one big learning for me that uh, I, I waited too long with getting help. But then also in, in finance, we, we hired a CFO um, around two years ago, which looking back, I think we should have done way, way earlier, which would have given us a better overview of, of our cost structure, of, of our P&L, and of the overall uh, KPIs of our business. So you as a founder, you try always to do as long as possible everything yourself, to, to, mm. you know, to save money, etc. But sometimes 
hiring someone that will afterwards do a much better job than you will leave you in a more in a better situation in, in the end right so but i think really hiring too late was one of the Oh, okay. Key, some key position was definitely one of the, the mistakes. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, so generally, what would you say is the, sort of the biggest mistake that you see startups make and as a result fail? Mm, I think you can summarize it in being too much in love with your own product. Oh. So that is, and it's a bit paradox because you need yes. to be in love with your own product. Having passion for it, and you, you need know. to be passionate about it. That's why you started in the beginning. But if you neglect everything left and right, and you neglect customer voices, and you neglect data that proves you're on the wrong track, and you just assume things rather than listening to your customers and data, and you don't implement then uh, feedback into uh and build a better product mm -hmm. then this is a a yeah a, a formula to to a disaster um often because founders are then so 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 proud of their products and so in love with their own products they think they don't need a long-term strategy or vision because the product is so good everything will solve it solve mm -hmm. everything itself basically and this is just super difficult because like that you will never reach product market fit and you will never be in a in a on in on this level where you can just pour in money and more money comes out uh be it in retail or in e-commerce or, or anywhere else because you will just always be um hoping and not understanding why is no one buying it but now let's just try a different approach to uh marketing or a different flyer or a different ad while the product itself might be the issue in the first place so being overly in love with it and neglecting left and right i think this is one of the the most mm. critical things that um that startup founders do and it's also a bit of a reason why european startups tend to be slower and and in the end smaller than the american ones because the americans they learn from the beginning that this this uh, agile uh, methodology of the lean startup approach where you build something then you have a prototype you measure the feedback you go back into your kitchen you rebuild it you mm -hmm. put it out on the market again you again you maybe you're being destroyed but you include this feedback you bring it back in the kitchen and you do this again and again and again and again over years and what happens is you improve constantly your product and in europe it's more we have a bit this it's changing but we still have it a bit it's oh, I have this great idea. I go into my kitchen. I work for three years on it. I think I will make the best possible product. In three years, I go out. No one cares about it. And in those three years, the Americans one have iterated the product maybe 15 times and have really the best possible product. And that's why they're killing us all the time in, in speed, in growth, in everything. Because in a way, I suppose they have in, inadvertently co-created with their consumer by the consumer exactly exactly and Whereas i think this changes you know, as well in a little this... corner thinking we're great we're great Everyone's yeah great. yeah exactly <laughs> this is being too much in love with your own product yeah. and i think this is changing in europe we are we're getting there but um of course it's uh, we're still a bit behind all right time will tell okay Let, let's look forward now um, mm -hmm. we've talked about this and you've mentioned um that your carbon neutral plans for 2023 so where and what is next for yammer 
It's all about uh, growth, <laughs> which is uh, always uh, It's always it's a it's a, a bit stupid answer maybe, but uh, yeah, no growth means for us uh, in the next two three years international expansion. So we are um, working now on uh, launching in different Yama, different European countries, mm -hmm. both um, retail and B two C. So we receive lots of interest from, from big European countries that uh, understand that uh, sustainable plant-based nutrition for kids uh, is something that is still lacking um, and that has been uh, neglected by, by the big food corporations. So, um, of course, we're super happy about that. And uh, we are now trying to build a team that can sustain this 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 growth and um this demand from those markets so international expansion and then the other the other big uh growth let's say axis is then product uh diversification so i told you already in the beginning that we grew from being a baby food company to this healthy world of kids food and of course we want to double down on that so we ask ourselves constantly what are big uh trends in, in, in healthy food coming from mm -hmm. grown-ups that we think in a few years will be relevant for kids as well. So a few years back, all kids' products were still super sugary, not fresh, and no one cared about um, um, functional food aspects. And now this is something that comes more and more also in kids. And we were the first to really play with that in Europe. So we try to be on the, let's say, on the forefront of innovation um, um, now looking into the next, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. into the next few years. So it's mm -hmm. all about international expansion and then uh, product uh, portfolio diversification. Okay. Exactly. Uh, as, a, as a quick side question, and I haven't sort of quite formulated properly in my head, so bear with me with this. But with your products, you know, as an example, I, I'm, a, I'm a mother and if I have some young toddlers and I buy your products, I can buy them through, I can buy them through a mobile app I'm assuming mm -hmm. yes and if I run out of the product can I quickly just order it through the mobile app almost like with a one or two clicks through your app can can that be done uh, so it's not an app it's a it's a web uh, it's right. so bio but yes you can you can totally buy that product uh, yeah. Are there any future plans to create an app? The reason why I ask this, because, you know, I, I did a previous sort of fintech series earlier, mm -hmm. and it also looking into the retail series in terms of digitalizing how products and services get to people. I'm just wondering if that's potentially something that you might be looking yeah, that's interesting. We, doing in terms of enhancing your digital offering, so it makes it very super easy for parents to, you know, I think uh, when I interviewed the CEO of Twint, he talked about making it very easy for people to reorder their their uh, their coffees, for instance. Yes, how they get yes. into partnership. So we with that. we even go one step further. Actually, this is still top confidential, but we are launching this summer um, a completely new way how you will buy Yamo online. So we will go away from, from being just a normal online shop to actually a recommendation engine. So what will happen is uh, you as a mother, you come or as a father, mm -hmm. you come to our platform and then you will answer uh, a few short questions about your kids and the way you want to feed them. Like, um, what's the age? Uh, are there any uh, allergies? Um, are you looking for solutions for breakfast or lunch or, 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 or dinner? Mm -hmm. um, which of those elements are important to you? For example, no sugar or no gluten mm -hmm. or whatever. And then we create a customized 
um, box that is oh, okay. exactly uh, basically customized for the for the the needs of your kids. Yeah. And then it's really just one click, and you define in what uh, delivery frequency this will mm -hmm. come to your door. So you will basically have all the time the nutrients that your kids need and that you want for it uh, to arrive at your door whenever you want it. Mm -hmm. So everything will be sort of personalized. Exactly. We're all going down that route now. So, so um, Yama is moving in that space. It will be personalized yep. and, you know, that sort of stuff. Okay, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Let's end this episode of Let's Talk with, with this question asked to all of the guests uh, um, of the series. What is the solution that you think has yet to be developed but sits firmly within the retail world once available? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned personalization in the end, because I, I strongly believe that personalization will be the prime driver of marketing and retail success mm. within maybe five to 10 years. The exciting promise of personalization may not be here yet, or at least not on mm. at scale, but it's not far off. Advances in technology, data and analytics, mm -hmm. I think will soon allow marketers to create much more personal and human experiences across uh, moments or sales channels and then buying stages. I mean, if you uh, today, I think fewer than 10 percentage of companies deploy personalization beyond the digital channels in a systematic way. And that just presents a big zone of opportunity. And one area where I think the, the implications could be significant is our in-store visits. So think about Personalized product recommendations or offers once you mm -hmm. enter a store based on GPS data, your mobile phone, etc. So they would recognize that you come in, they know in the past you have bought that, you are this mm. age, blah, 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 blah. Um, I think it's assumed that just by such very simple personalized, personalized offers that uh, sales uplifts of 10 to 15% for retailers um are, are possible and that would just be amazing um what 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 that opportunity offers of course you always have the topic of data protection yep. yeah. uh, but i think um when when really once technology advances mm -hmm. there will be so many opportunities that presents themselves in, in this huge area of personalization mm -hmm. that will be super super exciting for marketers retailers and, and uh, i can yeah. see i can see the benefits of that but one thing that's, uh, that sticks out in my mind when we talk about super personalization and, and using AI and data analytics for mm -hmm. that and, and honing down on that to a point where we really, really know what our, our consumer wants, don't we miss an opportunity of introducing them to something different and to try because we're so bogged down with personalizing things. They're never yeah. going, you know. <laughs> that is an interesting. So that you mean that you maybe then will continue living in your bubble of things yes. that you always yeah. had. Yeah, yes. that's an interesting yes. thought. Yes, that's an interesting and, thought. And that's, I think one of the things we probably need to look at. That would be the, the counter thing once this thing develops to a point. Yeah, definitely. That, that would be a counter thing. But it's it's just interesting to have another discussion on that. But in that sort of sense, where people want to talk about that. But right now, Luca Mikas, many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Lane. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals.
podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.